think too many times people get comfortable in their career. You know, they start to have a family. All right, I'm going to stay in my job. I can't take the risk of trying something new. You kind of have the negative mindset. Where if you, you have the positive goal and you, you get to, to take things and try new things along the way, you're going to have a lot more success. Welcome to the Lubo Smith Podcast. I'm your host, Lubo, co-founder and CEO of STRV. And I'm here to talk to the industry leaders from the tech and startup space and ask them about their tips and tricks they use to operate at the top of the game. Today, I'm happy to welcome JR Gondek, Managing Director of Financial Advisory, The Learning Group, and the CEO of video-based dating app, Verge. In this episode, we talk about balancing dual roles and what it's like to be transferring skills and looking for synergies between wealth management and tech innovation. JR talks about the ever-changing landscape of finance and his unique approach to video-based dating. You can expect many advices if you are interested in finance or tech entrepreneurship. So let's dive right into the discussion. And we are rolling. JR, thank you so much for hopping on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. As we dive into wealth and tech, um, I noticed the recurrent theme that it's never too late to switch things up and do something different. And it seems like you are following that path. What were some of your triggers for you to start looking into different uh, areas, different industries than, uh, you know, you were for the majority of your career? I, I think it's fun to just be curious and look at, at different things. I, I think many times you get stuck in your career doing the same thing over and over and just keeping things exciting. My, my wife and I, we got married in March and we met through a matchmaker. And as we were just talking, curious about thinking what businesses or what new ideas might be out, it, it kind of ventured into kind of the dating app arena. And it's obviously much different than being in the financial world. And it's just something we've been discussing, exciting to, to kind of try something new. <laughs> that, that's super insightful because like for us at STRV, Building dating apps is uh, pretty much uh, bread and butter. We have engaged with so many. We have some in our portfolio as well. And just hearing it from yourself that uh, you pretty much after, you know, having a successful career in the fitness space, you pretty much picked that up uh, because of a, a personal experience, right? So uh, I think there is something on that as well. Well, it's fun. We have six children and our seventh on the way. So as we're, we're kind of thinking about what's ahead for our, our kids and the next generation too, you know, I, I think many people that are on dating apps, they want to try something new and, and look for the new thing. And the younger generation coming up is not likely to go on maybe some of the older, you know, apps that are hard to stay current and, and such. So we're really trying to design with our kids generation in mind that are coming in the next five plus years. With all of those technologies that are coming up and like all the new ways how people interact, where do you think the future of uh, dating lies? And what are uh, some of your predictions of uh, where this is all headed? As, as you are 
in in my opinion, looking at it from the grand scheme of things, right? It's not about building a product for right here, right now, but looking at how the entire market will evolve and how we will evolve as a society as well. Well, I think the pandemic changed so many businesses forever and how we interact as people. We were all stuck from home, video conferencing, FaceTiming. Everything wasn't as common as it is today. Everybody is is so used to that. And again, looking at our kids, they interact all the time, almost exclusively with FaceTime and video chats with their, their friends. So I think as you think about the future of dating, you know, a lot of it is going to be video only. And, and that's really when we're thinking ahead. Everybody's busy. When you think about the conventional dating apps, you're reading a profile, you're looking a lot of times at a filtered photo, trying to make a judgment, whether you like a person or you're interested, whereas hearing from the person, seeing the interactions, hearing their voice, you can just decide much quicker, build a connection much faster through video and everybody. So the future in, in so many businesses, I think, is video. And that's what we're thinking about the dating space. In a way, it's also a lot harder to fake it on the video. I mean, with all the AI tools uh, and everything, uh, anything is possible these days. And <laughs> you can pretty much build up whatever you want. But at the same time, I think that uh, with images, text, it can really be staged. But if you are sharing a fresh piece of video content, uh, I think that it really shares a lot more about the person. Well, and, and we, we, our video is called BioClips, where it's, you know, think about it. You're telling about yourself in 10, 15 seconds quickly uh, of where things are. And the same with, with messages. You can read a text message or a message back. Maybe it's lost in translation or context, where if you hear it from the person and watch a video of them saying it, it it's less likely to be lost in translation and you're really going to feel the, the, the better connection either quicker or move on quicker. What is sort of your split of time between focusing on uh, finance and uh, all of that? And uh, I know that you have a lot of other interests uh, or business activities and now building uh, a dating app. How do you manage the time to do all of that? Well, we're all limited to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? So to, to me, my time is still the majority spent on, on my financial firm and, and business with where things are. But then your extra time, if you have a good team in place and trust, I mean, I, I have a lot of things I talk about with, with my team in business. And one of my favorite things I talk about is giving up to grow. And when you think about that, to, to me, it's it's giving up and trusting other people on your team to take stuff off your plate. You can focus bigger picture and, and grow things. I think too many times entrepreneurs are stuck trying to do it all themselves. And it's difficult to you know give up a little bit because initially the challenge is whomever you give up control or task to aren't going to do it as well as you do it yourself. And that's okay, right? You have to be able to accept that it's not going to be that way and over time train them. So, so to me, I, I've built an amazing team with, with my financial firm at the, at the Learner Group, and it al- allows my extra time off hours to focus on this. And on top of it, I have an amazing partner. My wife, Lisa, is just a creative genius and really helps with the design thought process. And I could step in more on the structure and building and make quick decisions with how to plan, how, how to build up the financial side of 
what we need and how to grow that as well. And then on the real estate side, I just have a great partner on a management firm. So it's really identifying the investment, the area, and then turning it over and managing from afar. So to, to me, it's, it's really about not spending too much time on the little details and really focus on big picture and then put the, the right pieces in place to be able to run multiple businesses. I feel like there is something to learn from that. Did you, how did you pick up that skill? Because I feel like early on in your career, you likely don't want to be giving away power and giving away responsibility. But in my opinion, there needs to be a trigger that will show you, unless you do it, you are not able to push anywhere further. And I wonder if there was anything like that on your journey where you felt like, okay, this is the moment. I really need to let people do their job. And as much as I think that I can do it the best, uh, it's actually the opposite uh, because if I don't let them, then everything is going to be stuck. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to goals and what you want, right? For, for me personally, when I grew up, I graduated college early and I started at 21 years old in, in my business. And I was doing kind of system stuff and then research behind the scenes on investments and those kinds of things. And I had an amazing mentor that just pushed me. So to me, it's, it's really having a mentor to get you outside of your comfort zone. Because I talk about this a lot with my team on kind of the concept of major and minor. And we think about when you go to college, you select a major because you were good at this or, or that in high school. And you naturally just go into that as your major in college. And then you have a minor, right? It might be something different or something similar. And then you graduate college and you typically take a job in your, your major. And then you're stuck in that role and it's hard to get out of your comfort zone to try something new. So for, for me, I, I think similarly that my mentor pushed me into outside of my comfort zone to talk to people, to get into sales, to get into client conversations, as well as have the skill set that I had. And that's what I encourage with my team as well is maybe come in through operations, but you're doing marketing as your minor within the business. And it helps for backup within the team. But a lot of times it, it pivots career path development your passion might be marketing or maybe it's finance or maybe it's something else, app development or other things. So having exposure into different areas within a business really helps to take those risks. And, and it's great for the team. It's great for the owner to, to be able to do that. And, and again, a lot of times you just get happier people over time that you, you find your passion as opposed to being stuck in what you just thought was your major in college. Did you keep uh, your mentor for a long time? And what is the kind of relationship that uh, you have together? How often do you tap in to uh, basically ask for help or ask for, you know, some creative brainstorming? Well, we spent, he, he passed away, unfortunately, three years ago in, in his early 90s. We were day and night together for almost 15 years, literally six, seven days a week. And I was just a sponge, you know, and I, I think success in, in your career, I mean, linking to a mentor or somebody else is so important. And again, as a young person, a lot of times it's, it's just be quiet and listen. I mean, it's a really a hard thing to do, but the, the more you can do that when you're early on and just be quiet and learn and then think about where things are. And that's really where you establish the goals, because that's, that's the hard part for a lot of people is 
do you really want to take the risk and, and go outside of your comfort zone? You know, where are your career goals? And I, I think it's so important because when I, I graduated college, I, re- I really knew what measurements and, and what goals I wanted to achieve through my 20s. And again, having those metrics in place, I ex- exceeded every single one, right? And I think it just keeps pushing you to, right? And they have the long-term goals. Maybe you don't think about them day to day, but then you look back and track them and so many times you exceed everything you, you, you had out, out there as far as goals. Did you always have uh, technology in your back pocket that, as something that you would like to look into uh, when the, the rest of the business activities uh, are more or less stable? Or it's something that you picked up quite recently? Well, to, to me, we've always been avid users of technology because to me that the, the minute you get content content in your business or technology you just get passed by so we've always been dabbling innovation within the financial field within the financial business within the financial markets because you, you just have to i mean the name of our team is the learner group so you always have to be learning you always have to be looking ahead to well, what's coming next you know, whether it's artificial intelligence now or, or other things, because if you're not aware of what's going on and what technology is out there, you know, to, to us, you're going to continue to fall fall behind. So as you pivot into, you know, from the financial field and the tech, it's, it's a natural, similar thought process. Where are things? What do you understand about what's out there? And how can you make something better? Or how can you kind of change or influence the future with what's coming? Do you find that uh, there is a good transferability of uh, skills that you build up in the finance wealth management space now as you are tapping into building in tech and uh, looking into consumer products, uh, etc.? Et or do you feel like you want to be tapping into uh, learning something new and maybe picking up uh, uh, someone who will also mentor you in that area? Um, not that uh, I would like to imply anything, but uh, uh, you talked about about mentorship and how it was important for you in uh, your past career. So I wonder how your forward-looking point of view looks like. Well, to, to me, I mean, being in the financial markets, you have to understand risk and be comfortable with taking risks all the time, right? And try to think through, try to plan, and then adjust and, and make decisions on risk accordingly. So I, I think looking at the, the tech field, you can't be afraid to make a mistake. You can't be afraid to try something. You have to plan for the failure and, and adjust because so many innovations, you know, might've started over here. And then by the time the finished product came, it was a totally different avenue. But without starting, you would never get there. So to me, a, a lot of this just comes from being comfortable you know, communicating and planning and then understanding the risks and not be afraid to take the risk. Not, don't be afraid to fail. Adjust on the fly. Because again, I think way too many entrepreneurs or people never even get started because they're afraid to take the first step. And again, you, you just, you just can't. I mean, it, it's, it's exciting. I've failed so many times in, in my life and career, whether it's investments, whether it's decisions, whether it's things in business, I'd look back and want to change. But again, I, I never look back. I always look at those as learning opportunities to be better and adjust and, and do things. So to me, it's, it's kind of the risk, the communication, the planning in the financial field that, you know, naturally blends into kind of tech and, and where things are going there as well. 
I think you put it nicely, and I have so many people around myself uh, that would really, really like to start something, but uh, they don't take the initiative. They they talk about it all the time, right? And they uh, jump from one idea to another, uh, but uh, unfortunately, they never uh, they never dive in and they never kick things off and. Maybe it's that uh, they are afraid of a potential failure, but you describe it very nicely that uh, if you don't like go through that risk, then uh, you are probably not going to learn anything. Well, the, the other the other common mistake I think a lot of people do, especially tech entrepreneurs, and don't think big enough and don't plan accordingly. So that's where the, the financial side and the planning side really helps on the tech side, because a lot of times I think great ideas come up. You're so caught up in growing the business that you don't take a step back. And did I do the estate planning? Did I think about business partnership planning? Did I think about tax planning? All these other things that make a big deal, because one of the things we focus on with our families is the wealth return. Wealth return is just not the business return or your investment return. It's holistically looking looking at things. And I think way too many times entrepreneurs are too late to get to the planning. They've already created too much wealth and things are too late. So I, I think another thing that's that's really good for people getting started is really plan to think big. You know, what would it be if you get to a hundred million of, of valuation or more? Did I do I have the right structure in place as I'm getting started and, and really think big before you get there? You touched it uh, briefly, but I would like to double down on that topic of risk because I feel like there is something that you have uh, that you could share with uh, the audience. And what is your appetite to risk and some of your uh, techniques and tactics to manage the risk accordingly? Well, when you, when you look in the investment world, number one, there's there's one way to create a lot of wealth and one way to lose a lot of wealth. And that's be concentrated in one business and be successful, you create a lot of wealth. The other is you're concentrated and it fails and you lose a lot of wealth. So we've always been about diversification, right? So it's, it's a matter of having a diversified portfolio. Make sure you plan for the cash flow that you need and you cover your cash flow and risk. And then you can really plan for the long-term opportunities and, and develop. And then from there, the, the book I co-authored is called Family Value at Risk, right? And it, it really goes into the stories of good and bad, what families have done to either create and keep wealth within families. But one of the biggest risks we see on, on family planning and estate planning is there's no communication, right? Whether it's kids' generation talking to their parents or grandparents or the other way coming down. There's no coordination, and the risk is a lot of money is lost to taxes, legal fees, other things that are very, very avoidable with proper communication. So on the, the investment portfolio, it's really making sure you have the plan and cash flow you need. Then you can take the risk of where things aren't. Stay diversified and make sure that you communicate with your spouse, your family, and plan accordingly. Because one of the, the simplest things most people don't have is just a, a one-page net worth statement. List all your assets on one page, your insurance, your real estate, your liabilities, you know, business valuation. How is it titled on a simple one pager? And it's, it's easier to navigate because one of the things we find in our industry is 
very complicated. So one of our goals is to, to keep it simple, right? Because a lot of people are not from financial background and you get overwhelmed with either estate planning decisions or financial planning and you kind of just focus in your comfort zone, which might be your business. And really our goal is, is really to keep it simple on everything so that you're comfortable to talk about these issues and you just end up kind of avoiding the risks and, and keeping you know everything in track. You mentioned the generational wealth and how it transfers from one generation to, to another. And I feel like there is uh, some sort of trend that you have one generation that really like comes from like a relatively poor background that are the ones that really make it, right? They build themselves up. They are fueled with huge motivation to push hard. And uh, then there is uh, the other generation that takes that as a huge inspiration and builds up on top of that. And then the third generation is kind of spoiled and messes everything up. And I'm like really simplifying it. But uh, I think there is something on that dynamic. Do you see it the same way? And do you think that there is a way to break it? Because some of the families, they have of course, manage to uh, keep that uh, going and going and going. But I think on average, this is the cycle pretty much. Well, 100%. It's the old, the old saying, shirt sleeve, shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve in three generations. And exactly what you said, the first generation builds it, the second one maintains it, and the third one blows through it, right? And that's kind of what a lot of <laughs> families try to avoid. The question is, how do you avoid that? You know, and, and to, to us, the, the biggest things you could do as a family is communicate and pass along education because educating the next generation is, is the way to sustain it, in, in our opinion. And then good planning, because, again, every family has its challenges overall and to think ahead and, and plan accordingly. But educating and it's, it's never too early. You know, our, our kids are from 13 down to five. And it, it really doesn't matter how how young you start talking to prepare for a lot of these things. Because again, it, if you're successful, your children or grandchildren are, are used to a certain lifestyle. To maintain that, you need to have them prepared to either have careers or understand how to maintain the wealth to live off it to maintain that. And without the proper education, because a lot of families don't communicate, you just dump millions of dollars into the next generation's lap. They're not prepared. They don't know how to invest it. They're not used to the dealing with that, it feels like winning the lottery and the money goes very quickly. So to us, it's, it's good planning, great communication and teaching. Do you feel that there is some golden rules that you leverage for wealth management, especially now in the digital age? Well, because like, one of the biggest things we've done over the last 10 years are family meetings, right? And and again, it, it can it could be at many different levels of, of where things are. But again, Families get together all the time, but when do you ever talk about money? When do you ever talk about the, the family plan? It's just not comfortable conversation. So we've kind of really started to, to have those over the last decade. They're just very successful because a lot of times the kids and grandkids, they want to hear the stories. They don't know how the wealth was created. They've heard maybe bits and pieces over the years, but to really hear from how it was created, what it means, what legacy you want to pass on. It's just great for the family to, to hear directly from, you know, the, the 
generation that made the wealth. And again, to, to us, it's, it's been really good to, to build that communication, hear those stories, and then, you know, I start with educating because, because to us, gifting early is a great strategy for families to, to consider is you start giving a little bit of money and that's a great way to educate. You know, it could be a few hundred dollars, right? With, with your young kids. Um, how do they deal with it? Do they save? Do they invest? Teach them simple things that are just lifelong skills because our education systems, it kind of fails us in, in many ways on preparing for any financial discussion and, and any, anything else. And it's, it's really difficult. But again, the, the more, you know, family meetings have been a great tool that we've, we've implemented in the last 10 years. Is there some shifts that you see with uh, the changing financial landscape and uh, how things are done today, how things were done in the past and what's coming in the future? Yeah, there's no question because, again, in in our field, it, it really started in a transaction. So let me sell you a company. Let me sell you a stock. Let me sell you something. Everything was a transaction. You know, let me sell you something exciting. And that, that was really the history of, of the markets for, for many years. It wasn't really as much about investing as it was, you know, kind of looking for high commissions and sell things. You know, over the last few years, it's gotten, gotten better about looking for planning and other things. So it's, it's really moved much more toward the fiduciary standard where it's doing what's in the best interest of people as opposed to, you know, the suitability standard, which is, you know, much different. So we continue to see the evolution. But the, the future continues to evolve to taking care of multiple generations. And it's because a, a lot of people thinking about entering the financial field feel this industry is all about numbers. It's numbers, numbers, numbers. It's not good at math. And I don't like the financial markets. I'm not going to be good at this career and I'm just going to avoid it. And the reality is it's changed so much. I mean, I think the perception from a lot of the movies historically around the financial industry maybe have, 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 left a bad taste in people's thoughts and minds to join the industry. But looking ahead, it's going to be a different world over the next decade and longer because of, of just the generational wealth that's transferring down. And it's really planning based now and in communication and other things. So it's much more process driven on where things are. And it's not really, can you calculate the price earnings ratio and all these number calculations? You need to have a good investment portfolio and a plan, but you could plan around a lot of that. And then again, it, it's changed because it, it's really balance, balancing off the industry too, because the, the financial industry has been so male dominated, uh, for the last hundred, really forever. And it's, it's, it's really balancing off between more men or more women entering the industry in, in positions and, and balancing things off. Cause that's, that's one thing that's important in family communication. It's hard for, Men, men and women think differently. So if you can have more advisors and more talent to balance things off, more diversification of, of backgrounds, nationalities, you name it, because my, my team is very diversified. And I think we speak seven different languages and, uh, you know, th those kinds of things. It, it, it just helps to, to engage. So looking at, at this field and where it's going, I, I think it's just going to continue to evolve to much more planning based and just a balance between kind of the demographic that's in the industry. You were talking about planning for, you know, big goals in the future potentially and just like 
picturing what it would be like to achieve a great success. And I feel like if you do not envision how that success might look like, you'll probably never uh, get there. Um, and that's where I think it's also important to think about, okay, if uh, like you should really think about what your ultimate goal is, because if you don't reach the, even if you don't reach that goal, you might get close to it and it could be pretty sweet. So I was wondering, how do you take that and apply it in your life? What are some of your uh, goals and, and visions that uh, you would like to achieve? Well, I, we're 100%. My, my wife is a big believer on a vision board. So you, you visually, we cut out things, we stick them on, we, we put them on, and you look at it, you wake up, it's outside your closet or wherever you are, and you, you see it every day, right? So for in our case, you know, I wrote a $100 million check to us from Verge, right, as we launch. And that's the goal, right? And someday, hopefully, we cash that check, you know, and, and it's out there. You know, it's, a, it's an optimistic goal to have in the future, but that vision board is, is so important, you know, whether it's family goals, you know, we had a baby on our vision board, and now, you know, my, we're due it you know, early next year, you know, it, it could be numbers goals, it could be a house, it could be other other goals in, in life. And I, I think it's so important to kind of have that visual board that you, you think about it, you see it every day. And then over time, it just becomes a reality. How did you get inspired to start this practice? Was it uh, your wife uh, who influenced that or uh, did you pick that up somewhere else because like I think that people don't do it uh, that often that they would go and really picture it and like even as you mentioned with the vision board I uh, find it uh, uh, as a great way to uh, illustrate where you would like to get I think for many people uh, including myself partially because I feel I fall into that category like um, it's even hard to write it uh, as a text somewhere, right? Like a like a bucket list uh, or something. I I I push myself to do it, but it's not the most natural thing for me. It, it wasn't for me either, right? I always had in in my mind, you know, kind of my goals, and and I never necessarily wrote them down. I knew exactly what I wanted, but to really see it. And she really encouraged me. And as we started to do that over the last couple of years, it's amazing how many things you kind of check off along the way that were on that vision board. And then as you take things down, you put other things on that, that go. And again, seeing that every day and, and doing that, is, it's just a simple thing, but it's amazing how much it works. Your, your mind aligns with that. You see it. And then you know, innately, you're just building toward a, a lot of that stuff over time. And like I said, it's, it's fun to look back at all the things you take off. What are some of the things that you are the most passionate about these days? Uh, what, uh, what gives you the energy? Well, to, to me, it's a lot of this too is work-life balance, you know, cause again, I, I'm a big, big believer of that. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, kind of your, your health, so I think the more you're, you're mentally strong, in shape, eat healthy, that all feeds into being happier, more productive, taking time off, spending time with your family. You know, again, I think it's so important that it all fits together because I think too many times entrepreneurs can get stuck into work, 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 
they leave their spouse or their kids kind of over there to the side. They don't engage as much. And again, I, I, I found over time, you know, whether it's working four and a half days a week, you know, taking that half day Friday, enjoying the weekend, you're ready to go Monday. And that's kind of what I've encouraged with my team overall. Uh, I think the hybrid work schedule really helps where you, you know, we've been Mondays, Fridays, work from home, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the office since July of 2020. And it's just, again, the flexibility to give, give people so they can be around for their kids if they need to. So like I said, I, I'm a huge believer in, in work-life balance. I'm a huge believer in health, fitness mindset to kind of build all of it together. Because again, I, I think too many times you could focus on unhealthy habits and again, creates more stress, you're less productive and it feeds into a negative cycle too. Oh, 100%. Like I'm entirely on board with uh, all of that uh, you mentioned. Do you have it uh, with the entire team that you go to the office on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Is that uh, the setup that you agreed on? Correct. And it's it's just been great because, again, we started it initially just because of health reasons during COVID. So if we were four days away, if people had symptoms, you know, we could test it, it'd be safer. But it just naturally evolved into kind of our permanent schedule. And again, it, it gives families fl flexibility. You know, you're saving time by not having to go into the office uh, as much. You're actually spending more time working when you're at home a lot of times as well. And then I think that the flexibility with, with half-day Friday. So we've been every other Friday, half-day. And again, it, it just feels like a long weekend. And over time, that half-day adds up to, to weeks of vacation throughout the year. And again, to me, ha having to recharge, get away, by Monday, you're ready to go. And you, you're so productive in kind of that four-day, in a half, four-and-a-half-day work week. I think there's a lot of research showing that four-day work weeks might even be optimal um, over time. And I, I could see the benefit, how that, that would be. Because again, having that time away helps with the work-life balance. But then more importantly, it, it helps with your business. You're more productive and, and uh, create more overall, too. I really feel that it it uh, quite depends on like your uh, pretty much position in the life, right? If you are early in the career or if you are super passionate about something, because like uh, as far as I remember, there were years when I was like, I want to I wanna work on this every single day because I love it so much. And I think like there, there were also years where I felt like, oh, I really want to take this long weekend uh, uh, to so so I recharge because you go through like uh, bursts of excitement and and great times, and then it also uh, gets mixed with uh, some tough periods, right? And you need to make sure that you are resilient to power through those tough periods. Well, there's no question because again. As I said in the beginning, we're all only have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and how you kind of manage that time. Because again, early in my career, I was the same. I was seven days a week working, you know, doing that. It, it built the experience to where I am today, and there's no question that was time well spent. The trade-offs are if you're spending all that time on your passion and, and career, what are you giving up, right? And if you don't have a family and other things early in your career, you know that's okay. As you you enter and have the family and other things, it's really a, a difficult trade-off that a lot of people face. 
And, and to me, it's, it's, it's really balancing those things off. So I agree in the early part or early part of business, you do have to give up time and, and, and spend a lot of times all that extra. Uh, it's really hard to have the work life balance, I guess, is, I would agree. Do you have some grounding things that you do on a daily basis that you take as cornerstones of your routine uh, to really follow what, what you said in terms of like keeping your mind in check, being uh, fit, healthy, etc. cetera? Uh, what, what do you follow uh, on, on that journey? Well, to, to me, again, from the pandemic, one of the big changes that, that we experienced is you, you don't realize when you're in the office how much maybe wasted time or inefficient things are. So since the pandemic, you're really scheduled, right? And you, you're meeting because when you're stuck at home, you have to be meeting, meeting, meeting. Otherwise, you can't walk over and talk to somebody unless you have the meeting scheduled. So the, the things we've been able to do is just have a lot of learning and teaching and other things that are in. So I, I think a lot of the development since the pandemic has, has been far greater. For me personally, one of the things that I've done all the way through the pandemic, you know, at 4.30 every day I'm at the gym, you know, and, and to me, I, I can't work out as much in the morning. I'm up early, I'm working, but at 4.30, I'm at the gym. I'm burning it off. I'm working, resetting my mind, clearing it. When I get home, I'm I'm clear, focus on my family, kids, you name it, and that's just been such a, a something I changed seven or eight years ago, and I, I've never looked back on the balance of just really focus, take that break, clear things, now come come and, and do things. But but to me, it's it's really having uh, the, the health in, and then just really scheduling your time because otherwise, I, I think you can get caught up with just wasting a lot of time. It, it feels like you're working, but when you look back, there really wasn't a lot of productivity and, and, and really being diligent about how you, you separate your time, I think is super important. What I find very beneficial and uh, at the same time, what I am challenged by is to keep very consistent routine. As you mentioned, like working out at 4.30 every single day is amazing. And ideally... I would like all days to be planned that way, that I have these uh, things that I do every single day at the same time. But what I find extremely difficult is to keep up with that, with you know everything that is happening in life. In the ideal world, I would like to have the same sleeping schedule every single day. I would like to work out at the same time. I'd like to eat at the same time and uh, do some other activities, but I find it uh, quite difficult to uh, basically keep consistent. Uh, but if you can manage to keep one thing uh, uh, at the same time uh, every day, I think it's already a big win. Well, the other thing you mentioned is sleep. I've always been a great sleeper, eight, nine hours. I think it's so important to have that recharge because to me, I, I've always been go, 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 go. By the time it's ready to, I'm exhausted. I'm out. I wake up and get my eight, nine hours and I, I'm ready to go the next day. I, I think for me, sleep has been an important kind of key to success too. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And for me, if, uh, you know, I have some troubles, uh, then I usually just go to sleep and uh, uh, it will like, 
absorb itself pretty much it, it it helps tremendously and i think that like also keeping it consistent and uh going to bed early has been uh has been a game changer for me like every hour before midnight uh i count as double uh of uh, what happens after midnight so and it's 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 tough it's it for me it's very tough to to go to to bed early but i try to prioritize that as much as possible i totally agree like i said it's it's just something i've always always done i'm just naturally been a good sleeper because to me i think too many times you can let the stress get to you it's hard to sleep nothing you can do about it you know to me it's it's prioritizing planning do as much as you can, recharge, and then focus on the stresses the next day. Well, let's talk about Verge a little bit more and uh, about what you would like to do in the dating space and uh, probably have the uh, very first app that will solely uh, be be focused on, on video and providing that experience. Um, how how do you see that uh, coming to life, and uh, how are you thinking about uh, spreading the word about the product? Well, I, I think it, th- this is where, on the one hand, we're creating something new. On the other hand, there's tons of dating apps out there, so I, I think I'm, there's a good opportunity to learn from what worked and what didn't for others um, that it, have been in the field. So I, I think as we're getting started, we've done a lot of. Ed- reading ourselves to educate ourselves on on tools and and how to kind of launch so we've we've created a couple different ways to to create excitement around the launch you know is is what we're we're looking to do as well because again i think it's hard you could spend a lot of money to just get installs and downloads and it can be very inefficient yeah that's uh 100% right that uh you want to make sure that uh the product is sticky that people uh use it and i think in the dating space um as in many other areas um uh, it's a supply and demand uh, issue as well right it's the chicken and egg problem uh what is your thinking uh in terms of how you uh deal with that to make sure that uh, the app provides as much value as possible because in the end it's like you can you can picture it life uh, uh running with uh, uh hundreds of thousands or millions of users and uh you know that's probably something that you put on your vision board or maybe greater numbers right uh to to achieve that uh uh, successful goal, but um, I think the way how you get there is uh, a relatively tricky one. Well, I, 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 nobody wants to be on a dating app that nobody's on, right? So that to, <laughs> to us, you, you really got to get that. So in doing research on, on pre-launch strategy, we, we looked up the call map from a long time ago, right? And look at their pre-launch strategy. They created a very basic website to stare at a sunset for 30 seconds. Right. And it just went viral. Very simple. It cost them very little money. They got people to engage. You know, they got some likes on Facebook. They collected a hundred thousand, uh, email addresses ahead of their launch. And then once they go, they had a lot of momentum before things even got started and very successful. So I, I think we're looking at a similar strategy to have something very basic to create a lot of, of 
information and, and contacts and connections ahead of that so that when you're ready to go, you, you have people. So we're, we're looking at starting in some college campuses, you know, some local markets to test and, and get things out. So have a community where there's likely to be a, a lot of users, get the feedback and, and do things. And again, when you look at, at many other dating apps, they've used similar type strategies. Because again, our, our target demographic might be not even, right, might be more our kids' age. And we're building over the next few years till they're adults, till they're in college and, and really get the feedback on, on where things are. Because again, yeah, our thought, our hope is that we can be launched and, and be successful. We're planning for the long term of, of where things are going. And again, we naturally believe kind of the unfiltered video, you know, market is, is going to be the future. It's, it's just a matter of getting those users, getting the engagement to, to go and not blowing through all your money to, to try to do that. <laughs> Do you think about some of the newer technologies as well, like, uh, you know, Vision Pro will be coming out fairly soon. Uh, and I think like moving uh, moving from photo and text to video uh, is um, definitely one step, but even maybe bringing it uh, uh, closer to reality, there might be something on that. And like, I have no clue how... Uh, people will react to it, but uh, there might be something on, on tapping into that as well, like making the experience a lot more real. Oh, and, and like I said earlier, like without getting started, you don't know where you start and where you end because YouTube started as a dating app. I mean, who would have thought YouTube would be when they started what they are today, right? And that was a, an online dating app, you know, a long time ago. So, you know, to, to me, it's, it's having a plan and, and don't be afraid to adjust on the fly. And that's, that's exactly the way we're thinking. Cause we, we have a whole bunch of, of things we'd like to include. And then it's just a matter of, will people like that? Do they, they want to add, will they value these features or not really listening to the people that are engaging and then, you know, kind of make adjustments, make enhancements or eliminate things that people don't value. I love that you say that. And maybe Verge is going to be a streaming platform or social media service uh, after all. Uh, because like you point out the great thing that uh, in order to succeed in the world, you need to pivot and you need to find what's the core uh, product market fit. Uh, how do you evaluate that and how do you shift uh because sometimes you are emotionally attached to a certain idea. Uh, and uh, I would love if you have uh, some uh, uh, techniques, how you look at this. Well, I, I think we've had to do that. My, my wife and I have battled as we're, we're beginning. Because, again, we've spent a lot of time identifying. I, I think we have a ton of, of good things you'd like to, to, to put in. But it, it's a matter of what makes sense now, what can make sense in the future. Um, in, in a lot of ways, because again, you, you, you can't be married to one idea or, or one structure, right? Because to me, it's, it's you do a lot of testing, get a lot of feedback, and then make the best decision. And again, move on quickly. It's been my experience because you can't keep investing in the same thing over and over again, hoping it changes. If you test it a few times, don't be afraid to scrap your idea and come up with something new. Um, over time, because again, one of the other things that I think is interesting about our app is we're we're going to have you know kind of like a, a blog part 
of of the app to, to have user engagement. So if you, you want to talk about post your good or bad date the night before and read the comments, people are interested in that, right? And it keeps people engaged on the app um, overall. And, and it's just fun to read those stories or ask for advice. You know, this and this happened. What do you think? And people love to critique or say things. And it just keeps engagement on as as well as you're looking for people. So I, I think stuff like that, creating the, the next generation of, of dating experiences um, overall would do. And, and who knows where that goes? Yeah. Well, there's something on that that I should take away as well uh, when it comes to pivoting and dropping ideas when they don't work out. Uh, I don't think I do nearly enough of that. At the same time, I think that's one my core strengths that uh, I have the perseverance that uh, when I decide to do something, I will keep fighting and fighting and fighting until I get there. So I feel like uh, on one side, I think it's 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 good to pivot and do something else if things don't work out. At the at the same time, you can't be giving up that early. And like we talked about it earlier that like some people, they don't even start, right? And some people give up too early. Uh, some people uh, never give up and it's also wrong. So <laughs> it might be. Uh, so there is like a very interesting dynamic on that. Well, on that front, what I've found over the years, before you give up, you start to test other things before you do, right? So it's like, I really, really believe in this, but just in case, let me try these two other areas and see if there's other things. And then naturally, if these start to pick up, it's easier to give away and move so that you're not necessarily giving up totally an idea. You've planned for what could be ahead. And I think I've I've seen that over the years, you know, for me personally, has made it easier. It's like, all right. I thought this was going to be the way, but we've tested, you know, whether it's investment strategy, whether it's a business strategy, you name it. It's just much easier as you're pivoting to something as opposed to just eliminating and going away from something. What would be your personal advice for people that are looking to venture into finance or, or tech entrepreneurship uh, that uh, they could take away from this? Well, I, I think thinking about that major minor concept I talked about earlier where don't be afraid to enter what you think your strength is, but get exposure into something a little bit different, right? In in any field, if it's financial or the tech industry, if you start in marketing or development or you start in investments and finance, don't be afraid to get into sales. Don't be get af- afraid to get exposure to, to other things that, number one, you're a little more diversified. It gives you career path, you know, shifting in in the, the landscape as the industries change, you have a better skill set, you're more valuable to your team because you can do multiple things. You know, because again, I, I think that's just a, a something everybody should consider as they're, they're entering things. Focus on your strengths, but get a little bit of exposure into to something different uh, within your field. What do you feel was your number one lesson learned uh, that uh, could be applicable to people that want to make a mark in their industries? Don't be afraid to fail, you know, is, is clearly one, right? Because, I, I, again, I, I think, and, and to me, that's getting outside of your comfort zone. Because I, I think too many times people get af- afraid, what if I try this and I, I fail, right? Because to me, you still have to have that vision board of those goals. If you know where you, you want to be, 
you can make the decisions along the way. But I think too many times people get comfortable in their career. You know, they start to have a family. All right, I'm going to stay in my job. I can't take the risk of trying something new because you, you kind of have the negative mindset. Where if you, you have the positive goal and you, you get to, to take things and try new things along the way, you're going to have a lot more success overall. So again, don't be afraid to fail. Have your goals and you know, try new things. Would you share some encouragement with people to look into new things, uh, even like later on in their careers to just make a pivot and, and, and try something new? Because it seems like you have uh, instilled that in yourself, that you are not afraid to do new things and venture into new ideas and new industries. Uh, would you, would you uh, suggest that to, to other people as well, that they don't get caught up with uh, one industry where they build up a strong experience to get them to way too comfortable level? Well, to me, it's natural if you think about it. You want to make sure you've taken care of your, your family, your cash flow needs, kind of basic financial planning. Then what do you do is you, you do a little testing. Well, it's, you start a side business with a little bit, you know, your extra time, right? See how it goes. You're learning along the way. And if this is a passion, this has a, has a something you can take off with that. So you don't give up necessarily where you are. You start small, come up with an idea, a side business, a side hustle, so to speak, and see where that goes. So I think that's an easier way than to just say, I'm quitting and I'm going to, pivot all the way over. So I think as you, you baby step into some of these risks or life decisions, it's much easier to, you know, again, start small, see where it goes, and then naturally you can pivot over. And like, lastly, what would you say were some of the defining setbacks for yourself throughout your own career? What do you think shaped you up? Uh, what were the biggest challenges uh, on the journey? Well, to, to me, I, I came up, I graduated college in 2002, and at the time, we were coming off the dot-com, the end of, of that. We're in the middle of a recession. The economy was slow. You know, as I started my career in 2003, things were taking off. I thought it was great how everything did well from 2003. Then the financial crisis hits in 2008 and 2009, and it was just unbelievable experience. I, I don't think many people realize how close the financial system was to just breaking and stopping. I mean, it, it was really that close. And being really in, in the front lines of that experience just changed my mentality forever. On the one hand, I wasn't prepared because most people have never seen anything like that in their life. On the other hand, it prepared me for the future because on the, despite the fact there was so many bad things going on, there was such opportunity. And learning to see what happened, you know, it really just created a calm within me for the rest of my life of taking a step back, no matter how bad things are, there's opportunity, there's, there's other things to focus on, stay positive and move things in. And that was the financial crisis to me is it just, you know, so scary and, and, and such and, and seeing the amount of wealth that was lost, people losing their homes, everything else, and then staying patient and looking for things is just, you know, a, a game changer for, for the rest of my career. No matter how challenging things are, there's always an opportunity. And, and don't be afraid, right? It comes, comes back into that because it's the, you know, when you think about portfolio investments, you always want to have a little liquidity. You know, number one, you might need it. But number two, that liquidity, you can take advantage of opportunities. 
So it's in the investment world, it's a business opportunity, you name it. And again, don't be afraid when, when things are the worst you think you've ever seen to go out and take a risk. And, and a lot of times when you're looking long-term, those are going to work out very, very well. Well, that is so right. Jared, thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, all of your experience and dropping some wisdom on the podcast. It was My a pleasure. conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening or watching to the very end. I hope it can only mean one thing, that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please go ahead, follow, subscribe, or write a review and be tremendously appreciated by our side. There are a bunch of other episodes that you can check out in the meantime, and I'll be looking forward to catching you next time. Oh, 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 oh,